When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Woo Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo Wings! Yeah! Woo Woo! Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at savewithconrad.com. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? Just another uh, perfect day in paradise. <laughs> I uh, enjoying, the, enjoying the tail end of the summer here. Looking forward to the fall. Man, we had a great time together this past week over at Podcast Movement. Want to shout those guys out. Always a blast to be invited. Uh, I thought we had a pretty good panel. You know, you and I have done several of those, and I thought it went pretty well. And feels like we got some positive feedback and shared a laugh or two. It was a good experience. And now we're going to get to do it again in just a few days later this week, you and I will be together with the rest of our podcast crew for what we like to call top guy weekend. It's our top tier Patreon, uh, benefit, I guess you'd call it. And, uh, it's going to be a blast, but most importantly, we're doing something really special on Saturday. It's a podcast super show that you can attend or watch for free. If you'd like because we're doing it all for Mongo. We want you to make a donation to moneyformongo.com. Please go check it out today. Moneyformongo.com. And when you go there, Eric, you're going to see like a murderer's row of hall of famers. I know that you had a chance to look at it yet, but from left to right, 
You got the nature boy, Ric Flair. Yes. He'll be there. We got the hall of famer, Jeff Jarrett. He'll be there. Eric Bischoff will be there. Jim Ross will be there. Mick Foley will be there. Tony Schiavone will be there. And every nickel goes directly to Mongo. You can watch it live on fight, uh, or you can actually be there in person in Chicago money This is a, a great cause for a great guy who's in the battle of his life. And we hope you guys will at least consider money Eric. This should be, uh, this should be fun and valuable. I, I, I can't wait. I, I can't wait. It's a little bit of a, um, emotionally, it's a little hard for me. It's hard for me to see Steve in the shape that he's in because I know how full of life he's just always been. But even when I see pictures of Steve and he's obviously, as you said, in, in a fight for his life, and that's more true than people know. Um, but he's smiling, man. He's still Steve Mongo McMichael. He's embracing life and he's got a great sense of humor. And I'm just grateful to be a part of everything that's going on to help contribute whatever we can. Moneyformongo.com is where you can uh, see all the specifics, everything that's going down. And of course, make a donation. Our topic today is going to be about Hulk Hogan. And we're going to get into a bit of a debate or maybe not. Maybe it's just a discussion about how maybe you could argue that Hulk Hogan effectively helped save WCW. That's going to piss some people off, but that's reality. Fuck them. And it's probably <laughs> going to piss some people off that. Saw your tweets. You, uh, you can't help yourself sometimes. And you saw an opportunity this week to talk about AEW or the ratings and the, the brouhaha backstage. And there's just a lot of discussion about what's going on in AEW politically behind the scenes. Allegedly, of course, we're not there. We don't know, but we're reading reports and a lot of people are drawing comparisons to when things were quote unquote out of hand in WCW, you were there for that. Anything you want to uh, address at the top of the show about all the goings on that are allegedly happening in AEW? Mm, you know, it's hard because as you said, neither one of us really know. We've, we've both heard, we both have friends that work there. We both have friends who have friends that work there. So, uh, it, it's not hard to come by some, uh, information, but how valid is that information? How accurate, you know, is there an agenda? in the things that we're hearing out of AEW. I, I don't know, but having been on the receiving end of that kind of narrative and leaks and, you know, people talking to dirt sheets and things like that, I've been on the receiving end of that. And I know how difficult it is. So I, I tend, if I'm going to comment on something, I'd want to make a clear distinction of what I know or think I know and what I absolutely do not know. Right. And there's a lot more than I absolutely do not know about what's going on in AEW than I do. But let me first, because you brought it up, and I know you're funny, you know, because we talked about this in uh, Dallas last week, how I, I try not to say anything, you know, negative about AEW because people just, I mean, they get so reactive. And in a way, it's almost fun to watch because it's fun to watch people lose their shit over things that don't really matter. Um, but I, I try really hard. But here's the deal, and I didn't comment too much. I think I, I one four letter word. Ouch. That was it. I didn't say ouch, AEW, ouch, Tony Khan. I, I mean, I, I just said ouch. Now, clearly, I was responding to the little over a million viewers that they got for what was 
built up to be, even though it came together kind of haphazardly, built up to be pretty big damn deal. And it was a risky move. And I supported the move, by the way, in the weeks leading up to it. I supported the fact that Tony was willing to to put it on free TV because they are first and foremost, they meeting AEW, a television company that happens to have a couple of pay-per-views a year. But they're a television company. They're not a live event company, really. They're not touring outside of their TV uh, schedule or pay-per-view schedule. And I thought in that situation, absolutely, Tony. Tony's making the right decision. And I knew he'd get criticized for it because I've been getting criticized for it for 25 years, but I still thought it was the right decision. Unfortunately, it didn't deliver much. And that was my comment. Ouch. And I don't think that that was me picking on Tony or picking on AEW. That was me being objective, following the business. I do get asked my opinion often about what's going on. And I responded um, to those ratings with one word. Ouch. The other comment I made, and the only one that I made, was uh, I think I referred to a report about a misreport as a clown car. And it is. You know, when you've you've got people within your own company, presumably, now I'm not 100% sure this happened, so let's be honest and fair about that. But the way I interpreted what I read, and again, Dave Meltzer was, was one of the sources, is that, you know, Discovery, Tom or Warner, um, or however you refer to it, Warner Discovery, suggested that the language within the show be toned down. I don't think that's a big deal. I don't think that's necessarily newsworthy. I guess it is to a degree. It's kind of a, eh, so what issue for me. I don't, I didn't care about that. I, and I think, by the way, I would argue that that would probably be a good thing because I think there's a little bit of over-reliance on language by talent and it's natural. It happened in WCW too. I'm not picking on anybody, but I do think you have to kind of put some guardrails up in terms of how you use profanity or how often you use it. What I, what I laughed at was the circle back trying to cover Oh, well, it was misinterpreted. It really, it wasn't really accurate. It was narrative isn't quite true to me. That's, that's not controlling your public relations. That's letting somebody who has access inside of your company to just go out and and print things and learn things so that they can print things that are not necessarily true. That's the dysfunction that I see. And as far as, you know, similar situation to WCW at that time, you know, I guess you could draw some parallels, right? You know, there was a period of time when I had to have a meeting with all the talent and offer talent. You know, if you want to, if you want to go somewhere else, you know, step over here. Nick Lambros will take care of you and we'll cut your release and we'll let you go as long as you don't work for WWE. Looking for a great mother's day or father's day gift idea. I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind, beautiful hand painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off 
and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word weeks to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. You know, that was a very frustrating time in WCW for me. Um, it was the beginning of an even more frustrated time. And I think what, at least in my case, my case only, it was the manifestation of a lot of other issues. Communication certainly being one of them. Um, a lot of talent didn't feel like they were getting opportunities that other talent was getting. Well, geez, that sounds like a parallel to me, right? Um, but I remember that time. And I, and I, based on what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, I think AEW is going through a lot of those same pains. I was going to call them growing pains. And maybe they are, because let's be honest, um, AEW is a young company. Only three years old. Yeah. They've grown very, very quickly. Another parallel between current AEW and really WCW starting in about 95. So I get it. I get it. But the reason I think I sometimes can't help myself is because Tony Khan came out in the beginning and talked about how excited he was about AEW and how he was never going to make the same mistakes WCW did. And, you know, he, he had a hard time not, you know, referencing WCW and all the mistakes that we made. And I, for a long time, I just, you know, it didn't really bother me. I didn't hurt my feelings. I didn't get defensive. Um, but I started losing a little bit of respect, not a lot, just a little bit. But when Tony Khan came out and made that statement, and I know people at home aren't going to get this. People listening to the show aren't going to understand. Why is Eric so pissed off about that comment? Because it had nothing to do with him, and it didn't. But when Tony Khan came out and made the comment about if Ted Turner knew half as much about booking as Tony Khan did, then WCW might still be around. That got me fucking hot because it was so disrespectful and ignorant. But at that moment, when I saw that, I just lost all respect for Tony. I just did. I, 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 I'm still pulling for him and I'm not so much pulling for him as I am pulling for the staff, the talent, certainly, because many of them I know. And even if I don't I still, you know, it's a unique job, man. It's a unique career. It's a unique opportunity. And, you know, I want the people that have committed to to get to the point where they are to be successful. There's no reason I wouldn't want them to be. But I have just lost all respect for Tony Khan. And I guess every once in a while that seeps through the cracks. So I apologize. Not really, but you know what I mean. What do you make of the supposed turmoil backstage? You know, so-and-so is being questioned about whether or not their injury is legitimate. And there was some supposed hurt feelings about certain talent standing up to other talent and maybe somebody else going off script, even though they don't really use scripts. It feels as if there's, there's a lack of leadership. It feels a lot like WCW when it started to get bad. 
There's a lack of leadership. Okay. There's a lack of direction. And I, and I'll, and I, and you're right. It does feel that way, doesn't it? And there was a lack of leadership in WCW during that time, late 98, 99 in particular. I, I have admitted so many times on this show that I was just going, not going through the motions because I was trying, but I was burnt. I was, I was tired of fighting a, a, a fight that I, I knew I wasn't going to win. Um, I disengaged. I don't know how many times we've had that conversation on this show, you know, different ways, mm-hmm. arms, you know, why did I bring, why did Kevin Nash take over booking for these very reasons? Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think, that, look, forget about the high school drama. He said, she said, here's my newest ones. Body shaming. Mm. I mean, yeah, this is just getting stupid now. I mean, it's getting like high, not even high school. This is like junior high shit. Right. And, and I just, that stuff, I just, I don't even pay attention to it. I, right. When I hear it, you know, when I see it, I'm going, God, I hope this is a work. I just hope this is, I hope this is building towards something that's going to be really entertaining. Otherwise it's just juvenile shit. And it's hard for me to pay attention to, but let's take a look at the last six or eight months in AEW. And leadership, or lack thereof. Cody Rhodes, mm. pretty integral part of AEW. Pretty valuable asset within AEW. Going. For whatever reason, mm-hmm. he's no longer there. I haven't heard a lot of details. I, you know, I don't talk to Cody, and you know, we exchange texts every once in a while. But I've and I wouldn't ask Cody what happened. It's none of my business. Um, but. Just look at the pattern, man. Step back and just look at fact patterns. Tony Khan, Cody Rhodes, couldn't see eye to eye. Cody's gone. The MJF situation, was, which is still inexplicable to me, and I still keep hoping that this is all going to lead to something really fun and interesting. But as every day goes by and every week goes by and every television show goes by without their being any kind of reference, connection, build, relationship to MGF. The more time that goes by between the incident that took place last time we saw MGF and the next TV, the, the more time that goes by, the less effective an MGF storyline is going to be, in my opinion. It's not saying it won't be, it couldn't be successful. And there's ways to make it great, but I haven't seen anything happen in AEW creatively that makes me think that somebody's really thinking ahead strategically and creatively. So you got, now you got Cody Rhodes, couldn't see eye to eye with Tony MJF. I think it's clear to say, couldn't see eye to eye with, with management. I'm not even going to pick on Tony with management. And now you've got all of this nonsense, the Thunder Rosa thing and changing titles. And I mean, for a guy who wasn't going to make the same mistakes WCW made, he's compounding them. And, and like I said, because of my lack of respect for what he said, and I gave Tony a chance to, I called Tony, you know, that you and I spoke right after that, that conversation or that the comments that I made on social media that got to Tony and he called you and, and you called me and said, Hey, give him a call. Just work it out. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll call. I'll apologize. I'll make it work. And 
Because you know, he, he didn't want to call you. back, and that's fine. He doesn't owe me anything. But right. at that point, it's just another thing that maybe lost respect, lose respect for him. I mean, he respects you. It's a pretty bold thing for you to come out and say that you don't respect him. You you don't appreciate that comment, but do you really mean? I mean, that you don't really mean that. I don't respect him. I mean. You don't respect the effort he's put into AEW or the vision or be more specific. If I can ask that, this is why I hate getting into these conversations with you because often you're right. <laughs> and sometimes that's how you're right. I big broad statement. I just don't respect Tony Khan is probably not fair or accurate. Like that's not the way you really feel. You're frustrated with that comment. I think more so. Yeah, no, it pissed me off. Yeah. And it, it, to me, it's a reflection of a lack of character. Here's a guy standing there. He's got two shows on what's called Turner. Guess who they named it after Tony. Yeah. And he's got two shows on his network. And then saying something as stupid as that. It's still, I, I found that disrespectful. Mm-hmm. I found Tony to be very disrespectful of Ted and everything that Ted Turner accomplished and giving Tony even an opportunity to do what he's doing. And I lost respect for him and that comment. Do I respect his effort? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I respect his passion? I feel it. I get it. Yes. But I'm, I'm, until I hear Tony be a little bit more, I don't know, respectful of the opportunity that he has, not just from the current TBS management team, but in general, um, until he stops. Although I shouldn't say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to retract that. He has really slowed down on the, on, on the comparisons between himself and WCW over the last six or eight months for obvious reasons. Um, but could I still be friends with Tony? Sure. I don't, I don't really carry grudges alone around much, but there would have to be a conversation about that. Yeah. There would, he and I would have to sit down over a white claw. I've had two white claws in my life, but I'd have a third sit down over a white claw and, uh, just be honest. And then, and at the end of that, sure. I could walk away and, and probably respect Tony, but until and unless something like that were to happen, uh, or he publicly apologized to Ted Turner for saying something so stupid and ignorant. Um, it'll be a while. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I do want to ask, you know, if you, because you're uniquely qualified to have this conversation, you know, running a, a wrestling company that is largely a television product. I mean, they don't run house shows and you were kind of the, the king of wrestling on TV for one of the hottest periods in wrestling history. And people want to debate that now it's silly. Like that, those are facts, but I wonder if we could set aside 
the hurt emotions and take a pragmatic look at the company with all the information you have. Cause again, we don't have all the information, but just with what you have knowledge of, or, or, or have heard about, do you have any advice that you could give Tony? Like, let's, no. no advice. No. Okay. No. I mean, because it would come off as criticism, you know, by, by the, 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 uh, AEW social media fan base would take whatever I say and spin it and turn it. And, you know, I mean, it's so why he's certainly not listening to too many people based on what I'm seeing, at least. Right. Maybe he is, maybe, maybe he's listening to too many people and that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. But I, I think Tony has, oh shit, here we go. <laughs> Quit trying to get yourself over, Tony. You're not, you're not good on television. The less you see a red light in a camera, the better your product will be. He's not putting this himself on TV. He hasn't been on TV. He's, he's, and I'm not talking about in the ring in matches. I'm talking about in every media scrum. I see. Just the visibility. Reduce his he's visibility. Putting himself, have, you ever, have you ever seen a, medium scrum, a media scrum with... One of the stars in AEW that Tony isn't a part of? No. And look, I get it. You know, Tony's an executive. He's the executive in the company. One of he's he's the he's the what is he? He's the CEO, head booker, head whatever he is. He's got a lot about, about six titles. So yeah, he, he's an important person. But this is not about you, Tony. It's about your talent. And the more you're trying to get you over the less your talent's getting over. And I'm talking about even in the ancillary promotion of your business. Tony Khan does not need to be tweeting 15 times a day. Less is more, Tony. Make people want to hear from you, not turn away every time they do because they see you way too often and in situations that isn't good for you or, or your company. Um, I, I know that AEW and the fans of AEW and some of the talent, AEW, and by the way, talent that's in, you know, their opinions are their opinions, but you need, you need real storylines, Tony, you, you, not what, not, not what the AEW audience, um, accepts for a storyline, which is really nothing more than an excuse to have a match. That's not a storyline. There's no emotion in that. There's nothing episodic in that. And I think it's hard. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit something here. I, I, I can't watch an entire episode of AEW. I will drop in because I'm hopeful. I want to see something I haven't seen before. I want some kind of indication that something really cool is going to happen. But everything that I see tells me that these are not stories drafted or created or executed by people that really know a lot about storytelling. These are indie-based wrestling angles. And I just don't think that's going to work. I really think if I was Tony Khan right now, especially with the resources Tony had, I would find a way to bring somebody in a Brian Gwertz type, you know, somebody that really understands the structure of importance of a great story and can bring out the best in talent with a great story and bring out the most emotion from the audience with great story, that's what Tony needs. You know, this dirt sheet booker of the year bullshit 
that's just now going to be part of, I guess, TV next week is just not going to get it. And hey, if Tony's happy with his company the way it is right now, and Turner's happy with it, and then fuck, don't change the thing. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if if the goal is to grow the company and to be, I want to say legitimately competitive with WWE because this is going to happen for a long time. WWE's got too much of a head start. It's going to take forever. But you can still do things that positions your company to be at least subjectively created or subjectively competitive on television. Right. And it's not, it's just not. So please, Tony, if, if this gets to you in any way, shape or form, I know Brian Gewertz isn't available, but there are people like Brian out there. And rather than hiring the next bright, shiny object that falls off the WWE tree, and creating a huge surprise and getting everybody all excited only to put them on the shelf and not see them again for six months. Rather than doing that, find a find find your Brian Gortz because they're out there and they can really help you if you listen to them. And if you let them, that'd be my only advice. Well, I, uh, I don't know where to go from here, but we are going to be talking about, uh, Hulk Hogan and WCW. But before we do, I know one thing's for sure. Eric is, uh, sleeping better than ever. Now that he doesn't have to think about any of these politics and wrestling and major decisions. <laughs> and part of that is because he's using a chili sleep baby. And this time of year, chili sleep is a must out in Wyoming. Is it not? It is. We've had, a, we've had an exceptionally hot Wyoming here. And the people that listen to the show know when I built this house in 1998, I was so excited, built a you know, pretty, pretty good size home and coming from Atlanta where we lived when I built this house and having lived through summers in Minnesota, which are very hot and humid, by the way, wouldn't think that, but they are. Um, when I came out to Wyoming and I come out here and it gets up to 80 or at 90 in a day, and but it drops down to 50 and 60 at night. So my strategy when we built this house was, hell, we don't need to spend money on an air-conditioned central air. Hell with that. We'll just open the windows up at night before we go to bed, close them first thing in the morning, and the house will stay cool all day. And that works about 80% of the time. But that other 20% of the time, you're sweating. It's hot. It's tough to sleep at night, especially when there's not even a breeze. And we get some of that. Chilly sleep fixed all that. Yeah, dude. You don't need an air conditioner at night. It is awesome. I mean, literally, Mrs. B slips on, sleeps under a, a, a it's got to be 10 to 12 inch thick quilt. Unbelievable. So, yeah, we love it. Chilly sleep, man. They make customizable climate controlled sleep solutions. They really do help you improve your entire well being. I know I'm sleeping better than ever and feeling better than ever. Thanks to chili sleep. I'm more productive. I can get more of these podcasts done, more mortgaging done all because of chili sleep. Now I've got the Uller. They also make a cube sleep system. Either way, we're talking hydro powered temperature controlled mattress toppers. These fit over your existing mattress and give you your ideal sleep temperature. Think of it as like a smart thermostat for your bed. Now to be clear, it's not a water bed. You'll have a little unit that you'll put on your nightstand or beside your bed. You'll put water in there. And as you know, water has some amazing properties. They can cool that water down, make your bed cool. They can heat that water up, make your bed warm. It's fantastic. 
My wife likes to sleep a good bit warmer than I do. We can make that happen on the same bed. These luxury mattress pads, keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep. Whether you're sleeping hot or cold, these systems from cube sleep system and Uller, they are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Really think about this. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Eric and I are doing it. Thanks to chili sleep. And you can too. Head over to chilisleep.com forward slash 83 weeks to learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new cube or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili C H I L I sleep.com slash 83 weeks. Take advantage of this discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day. And now let's talk about Hulk Hogan, man. You want to talk about a, a game changer. He was it for WCW and we're going to talk about how it all came to be. Of course, we're going to talk about Ric Flair's role in helping land Hulk Hogan. There's tons of quotes from your book, from his book, from, from Hulk's book. So we'll jump right into it. I guess we should sort of give some, some backstory. Hulk is off the WWF television program after King of the ring. He does do that international tour. He works a handful of matches for new Japan and somewhere along the way, you find yourself promoted to become the executive vice president of WCW. How quickly is it on your to-do list? Figure out what's up with Hulk Hogan. Oh, I think that was probably about 60 or 90 days after I was, uh, promoted to executive producer. Um, maybe a little longer. I think that, I think I was promoted in March of 93. You probably know better than I do. Um, and it really wasn't until 94 that I started talking to Hulk. So well, let's call it six months or so. Talk to me a little bit about the Hulk Hogan idea. I mean, we we've had conversations on the program before where I would say, Hey, did you reach out to this guy or that guy? And you would say, no, as long as it didn't meet a certain threshold, salary wise, contract value wise, guys like Terry Taylor and Kevin Sullivan, they could go have some of these preliminary conversations. And that's not to say that they would ultimately make the deal. It still probably has to go through legal and contracts and all that stuff. But Hulk Hogan is not going to be one of those guys. Is this something where you felt like you needed to have a conversation with Ted Turner or someone higher up in the food chain of the organization? about what that would need to look like, or did you just think, let's go see if I can get him excited and we'll figure it out. Yeah, no, I wish it would have been that, uh, two years later, it would have been that, but no, but in 94, keep in mind, you know, WCW had still not turned a profit. Correct. Let's, let's kind of back up. You know, uh, I was made executive producer and whatever, whatever that was in 93, um, because WCW was an unmitigated financial disaster and had been from the beginning of its life in Turner. In addition to having lost train cars full of money, tens of millions of dollars before I was put into management. And this was probably what hurt WCW more than anything internally was the negative press. And that capped off of course, by the bill Watts, you know, racial comments that were made. Um, bill Shaw came in and said, look, we're either going to turn this thing around and it's going to make a profit or we're going to pull the plug, essentially, paraphrasing, but that was the message. So in 94, I was certainly in no position to go, oh, I think I'm going to go 
spent $2 million on Hulk Hogan. And I'll just tell Ted later, I'll give Bill a call at home over the weekend and let him know what I'm thinking. No, it was and because I, and I didn't know when I first started thinking about bringing Hulk in, I had no idea if he was what that financial commitment would look like, but I knew I didn't have it in my budget. Right. Again, I've talked about this before. My budget in 94 was approved in 93. So there was no Hulk Hogan in my 93 conversations. Therefore, there was no budget for Hulk Hogan in my 94 budget. So when the opportunity came to even explore the possibility of, of a Hulk Hogan, um, I, the first person I went to was Bill Shaw. Because unless I had Bill's support, because I wasn't going to go to Ted. Ted didn't even know who I was. Right. Right. I was just the next person that they're going to kind of put in charge of WCW and see what happens. Um. So I went to Bill Shaw and said, Bill, I'd like to explore this. I have no idea what it's going to mean, if it's possible, how expensive it's going to be. But I think this could be, as you said in the opening of the show, a game changer Yeah. for WCW. Do I have your permission to go hunting is pretty much what I asked for. And Bill went to Ted immediately. And Ted was very, very supportive immediately. So by the time I got to have my first conversation with Hulk, even though I didn't know financially what it was going to look like, I knew that I had the financial support, at least initially from Ted and Bill Shaw. Did you, I mean, when you're having that discussion, did you have a ballpark or a range or, I mean, you had to go in there with some sort of, if I can get him for this, I mean, you had to do some sort of napkin math where you have to say, all right, if we're paying him this, but we think we can do this in merch and this in pay-per-view or, or you have to be able to ha- work some sort of pro forma is what I'm driving at. Right. Do you typically you would, but in this case we couldn't, right. We you, didn't have a licensing business. Mm. Our, our licensing and merchandising business was at the, you know, lemonade stand on a street corner kind of level compared to WWF. So it didn't really exist. Uh, we weren't really running house shows and had new plans to start running house shows again anytime in the near future uh, until they became profitable. So we didn't have a performa that we could build off of that. Um, and I'll be honest with you, Conrad, it wasn't, I didn't bring Hulk in to turn a profit initially. I brought Hulk Hogan in to change the narrative about WCW. Mm-hmm on the business to business side of the equation, not on the dirt sheet side of the equation, not even with wrestling fans, because I knew some of them would be very excited. Some of them wouldn't be right. I I knew that going in. So I wasn't hoping that Hulk Hogan showing up was going to take our ratings. And at that time, WCW nitro, and I don't know, I'd like, or excuse me, WCW Saturday night before nitro, it was the highest rated show on the network, you know, on Saturdays, obviously. Um, and I guess we were delivering about four to 5 million viewers a week. Um, it wasn't that I thought that Hulk Hogan showing up on WCW Saturday night was going to increase those ratings so dramatically that we were going to start making a lot more money. I did believe that Hulk Hogan in pay-per-views, because that really was what his deal was. It was four pay-per-views a year was his initial deal. That's where I hoped that we could at least recoup, if not all, but the majority of the money that we had to pay Hulk. 
So I went into Hulk Hogan in 1994. I went into that deal with Hulk Hogan in 1994. Once we, once we knew what it was going to be, the four pay-per-views a year, we knew ultimately, the initial, at least initially, it was $500,000 per pay-per-view. And at least initially, I think there were four TVs leading up to each one of those pay-per-views. My hope, once we got that far into the math, was that we could at least break even on that $2 million a year. And that bringing Hulk Hogan in would change the conversation that we were having with potential sponsors and licensing companies and, uh, and our pay-per-view partners and advertising and, and ad agencies. That's where I was hoping to change the conversation, but I went into it. I know this is going to sound the wrong way, but I, if I could break even with Hulk Hogan, the first two years, we were happy. Bill would have been happy. Ted would have been happy. It wasn't going in with any kind of pressure of an immediate return on investment. Let's read a, uh, a portion of uh, Hulk's book. He had this to say, um, this is about WCW running universal studios at the same time. He's filming his show thunder in paradise quote in order to whet their appetites. The tour guide would say, come backstage and watch Hulk Hogan film his new show. Naturally, everybody thought it was a wrestling show. It didn't occur to them. I would be making thunder in paradise. So they walked past soundstage B and they saw Ric Flair who would return to WCW sting and Arn Anderson and all these wrestlers, but they didn't see me. So they would ask their tour guide, where's Hulk Hogan. So 3000 people an hour were coming through the place asking for Hulk Hogan. And it drove the tour guides nuts. Um, the universal studios story here is probably a major piece of you landing Hulk Hogan. Talk us through that. Yeah, I, I honestly kind of, I don't know if it was or not. It was certainly a great coincidence, right? I mean, I, I don't think the conversations would have even started or the idea of having a conversation with Hulk Hogan would have really um, even existed had it not been for the fact that he was filming Thunder in Paradise and I, I was filming WCW Worldwide. The fact that we were on the lot together, I think, made it an obvious conversation between Rick and I, because I didn't know Hulk. I didn't know anybody that knew Hulk. I didn't have any real connection to Hulk Hogan. Um, I didn't know who was representing him. You know, I thought, but I knew Rick did, you know, knew Hulk. So because we were both there on a lot, I think it became an obvious, hey, Rick, what do you think? Can you, any way you think you can get me a conversation with Hulk? Had we not been at Universal, I'm not so sure. Or hey, even if Hulk Hogan had not been filming Thunder in Paradise in, in Universal, I, I'm not 100% positive that Hulk Hogan would have ever been in a conversation. Yeah. And Ric Flair obviously knew that there was money on the table with, with being an opponent of Hulk Hogan. I think once upon a time, everybody assumed, uh, I guess two years prior, 1992, we would have seen Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair at WrestleMania. It didn't happen. And wrestling fans knew that's the dream matchup because it had been teased for like a decade on the cover of Bill Apter's magazines that you'd see down at the newsstand. And Hulk wrote in his book that you wanted to do the Hulk Hogie, <laughs> which I guess is a, a sandwich concept. Is that one of the first ideas you remember pitching him or how does the Hulk Hogie, what do you remember about this initially? Hulk Hogies came up 
in my mind, I think around 1982 or three, long before I got into the wrestling business, I was watching Hulk Hogan, you know, and, and what was happening in WWE and how he was, you know, Sports Illustrated and Johnny Carter. I mean, Tonight Show, I mean, Hulk really brought wrestling in, in a way to, to allow, not, not in a way, it, it undoubtedly brought wrestling to a mainstream pop culture kind of level that I had never seen before in wrestling. I mean, it was fantastic. It was unbelievable. He was everywhere. And I remember saying to my wife, Lori, Mrs. B, she wasn't Mrs. B. No, no. Yeah, no. This was before we were married. It was. I remember now. Because we got into a long conversation about this. And I was watching wrestling. I think it was on Sunday at that time, Saturday or Sunday. It doesn't matter. Miss B and I are watching. I'm living in this. We lived in this little house in a small town called Bram, Minnesota, B R A H A M Minnesota. It's about 70 miles North of Minneapolis. It's a little town that had about 500 people in it. And I worked for a company called Dolman manufacturing. And I was a sales manager, regional sales manager for this company, Dolman, who manufactured agricultural harvesting and planting equipment. Doesn't sound much like me, does it? No. But it's true. And I traveled, you know, the upper Midwest and up into Canada and Alberta and Saskatchewan. That was my territory. And I came home from being on the road one week up in the middle of northern Minnesota, North Dakota, and Mrs. B and I are sitting in the living room. I got a fire going in the fireplace. And this is like little house on the prairie shit. Like this house we lived in only had one source of heat. It was a wood burning stove in the basement. I shit you not. <laughs> it was awesome. But we're sitting there that weekend and we didn't have a lot of money. So I would go to the local grocery store and I'd buy these fake crab legs. You've seen them. They still make yes, them, right? Yes. They, they, they look like the pink and white and they look like, eh, maybe it was a crab kind of at one point. And I guess technically it was, but they're really cheap. Right. So on like either Saturday or Sunday mornings, whichever morning the show was, my deal was like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to make Mrs. B brunch. We get some champagne, we get a little scrambled egg, some of those crab leg, fake crab leg gimmicks, maybe an avocado or something. And we'd sit and watch wrestling. And I'm watching, you know, the Hulk Hogan phenomenon happening. And I told Mrs. B, I said, Lori, I don't call her Mrs. B, but I said, Lori, professional wrestling is the purest form of marketing, in my opinion. It is just pure as the driven snow and basic and fundamental. And I said, someday I got to meet Hulk Hogan because I lived in Pittsburgh for a while. And when I lived in Pittsburgh, submarine sandwiches were called hoagies. Mm -hmm. They were called submarine sandwiches. I said, Hulk hoagies. And I looked at Lori and I said, can you imagine? There's all these people in the arena watching Hulk. I said, can you imagine if half of those people decided they wanted a Hulk Hogan with their beer instead of a hot dog, we could be rich. <laughs> so that's where Hulk Hogan's was born long, about four years before I ever got into the wrestling business, just cause I was a wrestling fan. And it wasn't until, I don't know, 1997, maybe possibly even 1998 
uh, Hulk and I actually went to a big sandwich, prepackaged sandwich manufacturing company based in Minnesota uh, to try to sell them the trademark or, or the idea of, of a Hulk hoagie sandwich. So never give up. Now we didn't sell it. And ultimately it didn't happen, but um, yeah, that's where that's, that's where that idea started from. He also wrote in his book, he being Hulk Hogan pronouns, pal, that he negotiated directly with Ted Turner and Bill Shaw. Why were you kept out of that? Sorry, brother, but that's not true. Okay. It's just not true. Um, I don't know why Hulk would have said that. Um, because it's just not true. I mean, Bill Bill Shaw was very much involved. Certainly, but the, the conversations, the initial, the follow-up, the conversations where we had to work out issues that were challenging within the agreement, all initiated between myself and Henry Holmes, who was representing Terry at the, or Hulk Hogan at the time. And Bill would get involved, but not directly with Henry Holmes. And certainly, Ted was not negotiating talent contracts with anybody including Hulk Hogan. So I don't know where that came from. I don't know if Hulk said that, or the guy that wrote his book said that to make it sound more interesting. It kind of happens a lot with wrestling books. Got to be a little aware of that. Yeah. It's not true. At the same time, all of this is going on, on, on your side of the street, Vince McMahon's steroid trial is happening. Hulk Hogan is obviously a major witness to all of that. Did you view this as a risk. I mean, yes, he is the biggest star in the history of the business, but we don't know exactly what the blowback is going to be from this thing. You don't want to be financially obligated to something that might be sinking, right? It was a risk and Bill Shaw and I spoke a lot about that risk and we weighed that risk. We didn't know the answer, you know, cause nobody knew what the outcome was going to be until after the outcome occurred. Right. We were, we were pre outcome at this point. So we just kind of weighed the risk and did a pro forma, so to speak on what we thought the publicity and the, the public reaction was going to be. And then weighed that against the cost of doing business with Hulk Hogan and everybody, including Ted, because Ted did weigh in on this as well. It wasn't just Bill and me, um, was that it was worth the risk. Talk to me a little bit about, um, the way the rest of the office, not saying the talent, Mm -hmm. but the folks who you worked with on a pretty regular basis there in Atlanta. Did they think you signing Hulk Hogan was a long shot? Did they think it was possible? Did they think it was the only way to really compete with the WWF? How was that idea received in and around the office? I mean, everybody that I dealt with, at at least to my face, I can't, you know, who knows what people said when they went home or what they said, you know, when they were off eating lunch in the atrium or whatever. I don't know. But what I saw was, a lot of enthusiasm and hope. It, it just, again, man, unless you were there, unless you lived it, 
you can intellectually understand it, but you can't really appreciate what I'm about to say. But WCW, in terms of morale in the office, was so beat down. It, it was just so, I mean, WCW was a laughing stock. It, it, it wasn't performing. We, could, we couldn't draw in the arenas. You know, we had some great talent and, and yeah, we had the highest rated show on TBS on Saturday nights and all that stuff that really doesn't matter at the end of it all. But compared to WC, WWE, we were, yeah, we were the number two company in the world, but we were like number 222. The difference between number one and, no, and number two was so vast that it, it was a silly thing to even say, right? On top of that, to have had to go through, keep in mind, you know, in a very short period of time, we went through Jim Hurd, Kip Fry, Bill Watson, now it's me. <laughs> and although people knew me and some of the people in the office had worked with me and, and a lot of them were very supportive, like Tony Schiavone being one of them uh, and, and others, uh, for the most part, nobody knew if I was going to, including me, <laughs> by the way, nobody knew if I was going to be able to turn this thing around. But by bringing Hulk Hogan in, there was hope. And I think that hope just raised everybody's morale and enthusiasm and work ethic. Because people were really excited about it. Again, the people that I worked with. Because now there's new opportunities. They, you know, they've been trying to, you know, when I talk about licensing, you know, Sharon Sadello, Mike Weber, that whole team, they've been trying to have great conversations with some of the big, you know, toy companies and, you know, licensing companies. But they couldn't. Nobody wanted to talk to us. You know, the home video business was deader than dead in that period of time. Home video business was kind of important. We couldn't get any distribution for home video. Our own distribution at Turner um, didn't want to distribute our product. They were embarrassed by it, so they left it in the bottom of their bag whenever they went out to pitch anything. It, it was just things were so down, but with Hulk Hogan, now there's hope. Now maybe we can have that conversation with those sponsors that really wouldn't return our phone calls. Now maybe we could get a meeting with some of those toy companies that up until that point wouldn't even return a phone call. Or if they did, it didn't mean anything. You know, maybe now we can have a conversation with DirecTV uh, about, in our, in our pay-per-view partners, about our 60-40 split and making that a little bit more fair. So there were so many things that Hulk Hogan coming in changed for the better, at least in terms of hope and potential, that I think because of that, the morale was really, really high. So Hulk Hogan's name comes up a few times on the WCW hotline. Uh, I know that was never really a, a major thing in your, I mean, you weren't ever really like campaigning. Oh, we got to do more with the hotline. We heard that a lot <laughs> with, with other positions in wrestling, but this is mean jeans deal. It's part of his deal. Do you remember thinking that was a good thing? Like, Hey, let's just create some chatter. It does feel like on the one hand, Sarsa, right? You want it to be a big surprise, but on the other hand, are you thinking, Hey, it's cool if Gene does it because we might not land him. And if we don't land him, we at least got some buzz off of it. And just talk me through, how do we know? I'm just curious sincerely about this is a surprise and that's not, I bring this up because 
I guess Johnny Gargano was a big surprise. Uh, as the legend goes, they flew him in on the corporate jet. So no one would knew that he had booked travel. So he could be a real big surprise. And we hear that all the time when there is a surprise, Hulk Hogan could have been a pretty damn big surprise, but instead it's teased on the hotline here. What do you remember about that? Yeah. First of all, and thank you for referencing SARSA story, anticipation, reality, surprise, and action, the acronym for what I really learned, you know, five or six years later, you know, one of my takeaways from learning on the job, so to speak, but in 94, you know, I wasn't thinking about story, anticipation, reality, surprise, and action. I was thinking about survival. And again, because Hulk Hogan coming in was more of a strategic, creative, strategic, actually, yeah, I'm going to go strategic creative decision with the emphasis on strategic for all the reasons that I've already talked about in terms of doors that it could open for us, that I was more concerned about that than I was surprising the audience with Hulk Hogan. Um, so whether it was Gene Okerlund talking about it in advance or any kind of a press release that would have disclosed it in advance, I was supportive of that because that would support a strategic reason for having Hulk Hogan on the roster that at that point was more important than the creative impact was. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Do you remember, you know, we talked about the office in, in wrestling. We hear there's a lot of folks who are concerned with losing their spot. Did you hear any potential worry or backlash or what have you from the talent? No, because again, I was the boss. What are they going to come up to me and say, you know, I can't believe you're bringing in Hulk Hogan. What's that going to mean for me? Right. Right. That would, that would be career suicide. Did people feel that way? I'm sure it's human nature. I would be surprised if they didn't, you know, it's a, a talent driven business that's subjective in, in what the audience likes and doesn't like, or what management likes or doesn't like changes pretty frequently in a subjective business. Um, and I'm sure there was a lot of people there that were worried what was going to happen, but very few of them came to me with any concerns about that. You know, a few people came to me with ideas, Steve Austin being one of them, you know, once the, the, the idea of Hulk Hogan coming in, you know, became a reality and maybe shortly after Hulk got there, Steve and, and others came and said, Hey, you know, what about me? But never, uh, what's this going to mean for me? Nobody was defensive or insecure about it, at least not to me. And keep in mind, Ric Flair was really supporting this. And I think a lot of people that looked up to Rick and respected Rick probably took a little bit of comfort in knowing, hey, if Ric Flair thinks this is good for business, then I guess I should too. Because let's face it, there were also, we talk about, you know, maybe a small handful of people that were worried about their spot. There is a much larger group of people that are thinking to themselves, wow, I get to be on TV with Hulk Hogan. My life has just changed. You know, this is different now. Maybe there's a chance that we'll turn this thing around. And again, I'll go back to one word, hope, because that's what Hulk Hogan provided at every level. Hope that maybe things were going to turn around. So there was a lot of talk once upon a time that his style of wrestling was different, that the WWF put on more cartoon-esque type wrestling aimed at kids and it was a little sillier. And then there was the old school NWA. 
I mean, obviously this is a, a weird sentence to say, but that was the more real wrestling. And they took a lot more pride in their in-ring performance. And the style was just different. Mm-hmm. Um, more athleticism, less entertainment, maybe is the right way to say it. Was there a concern that, and again, this is an Eric Bischoff special. You can be better than less than, or different than the company had tried to be different than was there a concern that if we bring Hulk Hogan over and we do that style that we may alienate some of our existing fan base, or did you instead think, well, we won't just be less than we'll be better than because we've got Hulk Hogan. What's your thinking there in terms of the old school fan and whether or not you might be alienating them with this type of hire? I guess I, I'm I'm going to disagree with some of what you just said. Sure. Um, Oz, Hunchbacks. No doubt. I mean, there's, there were so many, yes, at one, what I, what I do agree with is the NWA before they went bankrupt, before Turner bought them out of bankruptcy, the style of the NWA was a more traditional wrestling style, right? More like Vern Gagne than like WWE More mat wrestling, technical wrestling, athleticism. I agree with that in the NWA, but by the time 1994 rolls around WCW under Jim Hurd and Kip Fry had really tried their damnedest to out WWE, WWE, they just couldn't execute. So by 1994, I wasn't concerned about upsetting the presentation, the style, or, or, or possibly losing our audience or fan base because we're bringing in a guy who is known for more showmanship than, you know, hurricane Radas, right? Um, I wasn't worried about that at all. We'd, we'd already crossed that bridge and we burned it. So there was no going back. Um, no, I wasn't afraid of that. What I was aware of though, maybe this was just more in my own head because of my background and having come from Minneapolis down to Atlanta and gone from being the potted plant, third string announcer to the guy running the company eventually. Um, there was a certain northerner, you know, Yankee southerner kind of vibe. You know, there was a part of our audience base that just didn't like, it's kind of like the tribal shit you see in social media now. Oh, I just hate WWE because, or I just hate AEW because, you know, that, that existed then too. And in the South, and again, you have to remember the, the Turner footprint, TNT and TBS, and at this point, it's only TBS, right? That TBS footprint, while it's, yes, it's available nationwide, technically, for the most part, 75% of that audience was coming from that traditional southeast part of the United States where WTBS was kind of a big deal, just like WGN, one of the other first superstations. Yes, it was available nationwide, but outside of the Midwest, other than baseball, you didn't really watch a lot of WGN, right? So there was this kind of north-south 
and it was undercurrent, man. It wasn't like super obvious in your face, but there was a little bit of that, you know, bringing that Yankee up from, you know, from New York, (laughs) New York city, New York city. There was a little of that, but I didn't think it was, I didn't, I wasn't worried about it. I didn't think it was going to be so significant that we were going to lose audience and, and as a result of it. So Hulk's first appearance is built up to happen on WCW Saturday night on March 12th, 1994. Just to remind everybody Saturday night is not the B or C show that it's going to become. This is the a show. This is pre nitro days here. When we see Bobby, the brain Heenan confront Gene Okerlund and Hulk who are doing an interview. Uh, oh, by the way, Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake and the Shockmaster are here too. The rating mm. for the show is a 2.8. Uh, it's a tie for the highest rating of the year. But it's a tie. Do you remember that being a disappointment? I mean, it feels as if, holy shit, we got Hulk Hogan. That's going to be a big one. Maybe not so much. No, I didn't. I mean, did did the thought cross my mind at some point why I thought we would do better than we did? Probably. Maybe. I would be surprised if it didn't. But I wasn't disappointed because, again, I wasn't looking for a short-term gain going into this was about a long-term commitment and what it was going to mean to the different business units within WCW, not what I was going to get on a rating, but I I'd be lying. If I said, I you know, didn't think about it or wasn't disappointed. I'm sure I was to a degree. So Heenan shows Hogan and flair on a cover of pro wrestling illustrated. It's almost a tease about Hogan's unfinished business. Did that line, I mean, does this line up? accidentally is this something where you're sort of working with pwi do you remember no i wasn't working with them okay no there was no coordination on my end but was there probably a conversation between rick and possibly even hulk and somebody from pwi sure probably yeah i I would i would i would assume that and possibly that's where that came from but it didn't come from me or I wasn't involved in the conversation. So it's the highest rating for WCW Saturday night until November. Um, but it really like, you don't get back to that point. So it's not like it, it starts here and then it goes up. It's mm-hmm. it tapers down a little bit. Do you think anybody on the WCW side of things was nervous about that? That hey, we no, thought because, this was again. We were only bringing them in for four pay per views a year, okay, and four TVs leading into it. So, the fact that you know the ratings settled back down to where they were before was not. There was no shock involved in that conversation or situation. Um, as the deal is nearing completion, and you know you have Hulk in the fold, are you immediately mobilizing the sales team? who's out pitching sponsorships and things like that. Like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Everybody. It was all hands on deck. And again, I just don't, I don't want to understate how excited people were. And it was one of the fun things for me. You know, if you look at my, my evolution in WCW, right. I, I came in third string announcer, grateful for that. Never aspired to, you know, I didn't show up going on one of these days. I'm going to run this company. It wasn't that at all. Uh, It was, wow, am I I fortunate to have this gig? Um, But, you know, it didn't take long for the reality of 
the situation in WCW to become apparent to me, and it was pretty negative. Everything was pretty negative. Now you now we're you know now we're into Kip Fry, and that was not as much negative as it was just upheaval. Nobody really knowing what the hell was going on, um, and and Kip wasn't around long enough for any of the things that he thought he was going to do to actually occur. So there was no real impact. It was just a state of I don't know confusion at, at that point. Uh, and then it was Bill Watts, and th- that was. Bill Watts was one of the worst things that ever happened to WCW um, from a morale point of view. And, and obviously the way it ended with Bill put a lot of pressure on WCW as a company. So the general feeling was really negative. And, and we all felt like redheaded stepchildren that nobody really wanted to come to the, you know, to the family picnic. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're part of the group, but you're not a part of the family. So just, you know, I know you got to eat, but try not to eat in the atrium and wear your WCW badge where everybody can see you. No, that's how it's not that that wasn't true, but that's how we felt. And now with Hulk Hogan and the hope and the opportunity that that provided for people, you know, Rob Garner and syndication, that's a big opportunity for Rob Garner. You know, man, brother, you've been in sales for your life, all, yeah. your, all your life, one way, shape or form. When you're out there banging on doors every single day and you're getting the same result every single day because nobody really likes your product or is interested in it. And then all of a sudden you've got something that everybody's interested in, or at least a lot of people are that changes the way you feel when you drive to work in the morning. And that was true for guys like Rob Garner. It was true for Sharon Sadello. It was true for Mike Weber. It was true for whoever we had in PR at the time. You know, all of a sudden, people were answering your phone calls. And that was really an exciting time. You know, that mo- and it didn't last, right? Right. Everything, six months later, everybody was taking it for granted, and they were on to their other challenges. But um, for that period, right after Hulk got there, man, it was like one, you know, two or three month old celebration, you know, it was fun. So do you remember any specific advertisers that you couldn't get to take you seriously, but now with Hulk Hogan, they were interested or is that pretty much across the board? No. And let me be clear. Let me break that down a little bit too. Um, I didn't, we didn't WCW didn't sell advertising that was done by Turner ad sales. We didn't, we didn't have any interface with advertising agencies or their clients. That was all done through ad sales. Now, what we could do is have conversations about in-program sponsors. And I'm trying to recall who perhaps was one of the first ones, and I just don't because I wasn't leading it, right? I was supporting it, not leading it. Um. But that's where the you know conversation with DirecTV, our pay-per-view companies. We went from a 60-40 th- split, I believe we had, maybe even 65-35, to 50-50. Now, all of a sudden, we're picking up at least 10 or 15% more uh, net on our pay-per-views just because we've got Hulk Hogan. That was a conversation I was part of. That, that Very much a part of that. Took several meetings in L.A. with DirecTV over that one. Uh, and it worked. But I can't think of any advertisers specifically, brother. What about businesses that maybe Hulk brought? You know, we've talked a lot about Macho Man and how bringing Macho Man in to WCW also meant you were going to do some business with Slim Jim. Hulk has some brand sponsorships that he's had over the year, over the years, excuse me. 
do you remember that being a part of the conversation? Like Hulk saying, Hey, I think I can get a so-and-so. No, he didn't have anybody in his hip pocket. Um, that he brought to the table. Uh, but I also knew that if we had a big opportunity and we wanted to sit down with an ad agency or a potential in-show sponsor, uh, and we wanted Hulk Hogan at the meeting, he'd be there at that meeting. He made himself available for that kind of things. He was really, really good about that. Um, but no, he didn't come, he didn't come to the dance with, uh, with anybody in his pocket, so to speak. Let's, uh, Let's let you guys know that while Hulk Hogan maybe didn't have anybody in his pocket, we got Rec Tech and ours, and boy, are we happy to have them there. Rec Tech is a grill that has really uh, amplified our summer. I mean, let's just call it like it is. Every single weekend, Eric Bischoff is firing up the Rec Tech because it's fast, it's convenient, it's flavorful, it's easy. It really is next level. And Eric and I have both had the different types of grills. We've had gas grills, they suck, they're tasteless. We've had the messy charcoal grills where we think it's like a rite of passage to stay up with the damn thing for 13 hours. And then we got smart and we realized, dude, it's all about the rec tech. It doesn't get any easier. Let me explain with grills ranging from just three 99 and up. They've got grills for every lifestyle and every budget. What they all have in common though, is a key focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility. When I say versatility, I mean, it. you can bake, smoke, sear, grill. They even tell me you can dehydrate. I haven't done that yet but it all happens with the push of a button. The flavor is fantastic by the way, and it doesn't get any easier. We're going to talk about the ease in a minute, but how easy is Rectech to do business with? Well, check this out. They got factory direct pricing. That's going to save you some cash because it cuts out the middleman and they even ship all their grills for free. Uh, plus the Rectech pellet grills are made with the highest quality stainless steel. They really are built to last a lifetime. I have to admit I had a different wood pellet grill before. You set these dudes side by side. There's no comparison. I'm talking about the Rectex flagship model, the RT 700. It comes with a 40 pound pellet hopper, which means you get lots of cook before you need more pellets, 702 square inches of cooking space, which means you could feed a small army and the PID Wi-Fi controller. Now that is the game changer, but the real peace of mind with Rectech six year bumper to bumper warranty, but this Wi-Fi controller guys, it's going to change your life. You can start and preheat your grill on your phone. You can adjust the temperature of the grill up or down on your phone. You can turn your grill off on your phone. Most importantly though, is you can monitor the temperature of your meat and make sure that it's perfect. Every time we've all got that one dad or uncle or family member who burns every damn thing he touches, get that dude a rec tech. They have made it easy. So toss that tasteless gas grill aside, get rid of the messy charcoal grill. Do what Eric and I did. Join an elite wood pellet grilling family by focusing on flavor, convenience, and versatility. Rectech really has set the new standard in grilling. Visit rectech.com. That's R E C T E Q and use our code Bishelf five. That'll save you 5% off site-wide. And I mean, 5% off everything at rectech.com. Just use that code Bishelf five, but Eric Rectech, dude, what'd you cook this week? Tell us about it. I haven't cooked anything yet, but, um, I took out, uh, two whole mackerel. Oh, and I'm going to smoke those mackerel on the Rectech for dinner tonight. I actually had to, I uh, drove up to Billings to get the mackerel cause it's kind of hard to find, but I love mackerel. It's a really good fish, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to smoke those on the Rectech tonight. How about and it? I, I, I just want to say, you know, cause you touched on it, but I, I want to emphasize how critically important it is to be able to control 
obviously the temperature of your grill, but but to monitor and control the internal temperature of whatever it is you're cooking. That's what separates grill gods from a guy who's about 50-50. Like sometimes it, your stuff turns out okay, and other times it doesn't because it's overcooked, undercooked, whatever. When you learn how to, like when I look up a new recipe, like the first thing I'll do when I, when I smoke this mackerel, I kind of know it off the top of my head anyway because I've smoked other fish, but um, I'll, I'll do some research and I'll find out what the best internal temperature for a grilled mackerel is. And I usually, I like to go on the, the rare side of whatever yep. you know, the, the directions are. So if somebody says, oh, if you want medium rare, you know, bring the internal temperature steak up to 124 degrees, for example, I'll go 122. And I'll do the same thing on this mackerel tonight. 145 degrees, I think, is what they usually recommend for, for fish. So I'll go, I'll go 140, maybe even 138, because this is sushi-grade mackerel, so I'm not too worried about it. Guys, that's, go check it that's, out. That precision to be able. And then here's the best part. I can be sitting in the Silver Dollar Bar in Cody, Wyoming, which, by the way, has the best hamburgers in the entire state of Wyoming. Silver Dollar Bar and Grill right on Main Street, Cody, Wyoming. Tell them Eric sent you. But I can be sitting in the Silver Dollar, and I'll be checking the internal temperature of my brisket. And I'll know whether I need to kick that temperature of the grill up a notch or two or take it down a notch or two. And I'll get an alarm when it's right, right where I want it. It's just, and that's what, that's the difference between somebody that's really consistently great on a grill and somebody that's hit or miss. I was hit or miss before rec tech. I was like one weekend. I'm like the grill God. The next weekend was like, dude, you just served me a shoe. Yeah. The fuck. So big fan of rec tech, big fan. Check it out, guys. You're going to love it. The precision of the temperature means it's perfect every time. And rec tech can do it for you. R E C T E Q. Dot com and of course use that promo code Bishaw five save yourself some cash. Uh, so let's talk about Jimmy Hart. We haven't, I can't believe it, but we've gone over an hour talking about Hulk Hogan coming into the company and we haven't even brought up Jimmy Hart. Um, where does he land on all this? Jimmy was a part of the original negotiation. Um, Hulk made it really clear early on that uh, he depended on Jimmy a lot help him get around, get through airports, get him to where he needed to be on time. He was, and that's the role that Jimmy played, I think, in WWE with Hulk Hogan for a long, long time. Yes, he was on camera, that too. But Jimmy's real value was behind the scenes for Hulk. And Hulk made that very clear. So that went into the budget. Jimmy Jimmy Hart got uh, put into the budget as a result. And I'm glad he did because, you know, Hulk needed people around him that he trusted and that he depended on and was comfortable with. And certainly Jimmy Hart was one of those people. So May 28th, 1994, uh, Hogan tears up his thunder in paradise contract and states he's ready to come back to pro wrestling. That show did a 2.3 rating. And finally on June 11th, the ticker tape parade goes down. We see Hogan's Viper at Disney MGM studios. It's made to look like a really big damn deal. And it is, but it only gets a 2.4 rating. Uh, and I'm sure somebody somewhere had to be disappointed in that, but to your point, it's not really about TV. It's about pay-per-view and we're going to get there on June 23rd. It's the clash of the champions with sting versus flair. And that's where we see Hogan inside of WCW arena for the first time. 
It's been heavily promoted that there's going to be a contract signing for flair and Hulk for the bash at the beach for 1994. Even Ted Turner is involved. Is that your idea or his idea for Ted to be on camera for that? It was our idea. I don't know if it was mine or somebody else's, but obviously we went to bill again. I didn't have, I couldn't call Ted's office and get his assistant on the phone and say, Hey, could you see if Ted's available next weekend? We would like to use him on TV. Um, but we went to Bill Shaw and, and Bill was the one that made that happen. So the show gets a 1.8 rating where they do the contract signing. And I'm curious from your perspective, is that telling you more? And again, let's keep the context proper here. We're in the summer now of 1994. When you see that a contract signing for Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan, a legit wrestling fan dream match is going to be signed for a pay-per-view. And we know it's going to be at that time, the biggest pay-per-view in WCW history, but the ratings are 1.8. Does that say more about wrestling at the time, more about Hulk Hogan or more about the Saturday night time slot, because we're still before nitro is what I'm getting to. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest factor was that time slot in WCW. Can you think of a worst? Well, you probably could. You could think of a worse day park than Saturday night at six Oh five Eastern three Oh five Pacific in the summertime, like maybe six o'clock Sunday morning. That might be worse. Um, midnight Saturday night might be worse, but when, when summer rolls around and now you've got an additional two or three or four hours of daylight by June, at least here in Wyoming, it's light till nine 30 or quarter to 10. Right. Once that happens, school's out, people are going on vacation. It's called hut levels, households using television hut levels drop significantly in the summertime. And especially for WCW Saturday night, because it was at six Oh five Eastern three Oh five Pacific. How many people in your target demo are sitting a while sitting around watching television on a Saturday afternoon in the summertime? You just not right. So it, it that was the biggest issue. WCW Saturday night was a very popular program amongst its very core loyal audience, but outside that core core loyal audience, it almost didn't even exist. There were a lot of WWE fans that didn't know what WCW Saturday night was. So there was an awareness issue. There was a brand weakness issue. There was a, a brand awareness issue. Same thing, I guess, but it said a lot more about the day part and how incredibly weak. Remember when I said earlier, yeah, WWE was number one, but WCW was number 222. That's another example. It just, it was a tree that fell in the forest and just now enough people knew about it or heard about it. So we get the big, uh, face-to-face, um, opportunity bash at the beach. You know, we've talked about it before, but I want to talk about it again. Actually, let's give some proper context where WCW was beforehand. Slamboree 94 is the most recent pay-per-view. You had 4,000 fans in Philadelphia. When it comes to bash at the beach, the first Hulk Hogan pay-per-view 14,000 fans. So that's a lot different. And in addition to that, you had a 0.48 buy rate for Slamboree. It's a 1.02 here. 
So like three and a half times the fans more than double the buy rate. I mean, right away we know. And by the way, that slam show is headlined by sting and Vader for the vacant WCW international title. So that's a big opportunity sting and Vader. That's a big main event, but not nearly as big as bash at the beach. And I know you're going to enjoy so much great success, Eric, with nitro and with the NWO and these dome shows. I mean, it's going to be an incredible run, but bash at the beach 94. When you look back at maybe the most important moments of your career, that's gotta be up there, right? It was up there. And certainly it, it was such an exciting time and the anticipation for me personally, you know, having that very first conversation I had with Hulk Hogan, when I gave Ric Flair, my home number and said, Hey Rick, could you pass along to Hulk? And I'd love to talk to him. I got that phone call like at one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning one night. And, uh, it's like, Oh, can't believe it. I'm talking to Hulk Hogan. This is going to be great from that phone call to being in Shaquille O'Neal's house. Cause Shaquille O'Neal was a part of this event as well. Um, and, and, and getting that kind of support, it was all just so exciting and so much fun and it was anticipation and then for it to actually happen and, and to get the results we did was, it was exciting and it was kind of a relief <laughs> for all the reasons that you talked about just a few moments ago, you know, that yes, the ratings were soft, probably a little disappointing. No, nobody was like reaching for the razor blade to slit the wrist or anything like that. It wasn't that. But it was like, hmm, I was hoping for a little better. But to be able to double the buy rate, to get 14,000 fans in, and we got a lot of press. You know, that was another another component of this that made it exciting. Hulk wrote in his book, the guys at WCW were just getting into merchandising, but after Minnesota and my time with Vince, I knew how to cut a merchandise deal with a saber. My legal counsel, Henry Holmes convinced WCW that I should receive more than half of the gross merchandising revenues from Hulk Hogan products that I would share with WCW, a percentage of gross revenue from all other WCW merchandise after expenses. So this has been something that's been discussed a lot. I think Chris Jericho is maybe the first guy who brought some attention to it, but that Hulk was not just getting paid for Hulk Hogan, quote unquote dolls, but all of WCW, just the other wrestlers, the brand, is that accurate? And do you feel like if it was that it was fair because he, it's not accurate. Okay. It's not accurate. You know, somebody's got a contract out there that can show me. Otherwise I'll apologize publicly. I don't have Hulk's original contract here. I really don't. Right. Um, I'm sure somebody listening does. There was language in Hulk's initial contract that gave him the lion's share of his merchandise, a much larger percentage of, of his merchandise than other WCW talent were getting. But there, to, to my knowledge, as I sit here and talk to you, Hulk Hogan wasn't receiving um, royalties on merchandise that wasn't his. I don't believe. Again, it was a couple minutes ago. So if somebody's got a contract out there, including you know Chris Jericho or, or anybody else that can prove that I'm wrong about that. I'm I'll be grateful for them for pointing that out to me, but I don't think that's the case. So Hulk would also write that WCW went from being, uh, the minor leagues to one of the major leagues. Do you think he really honestly looked at it that way that WCW was the minor league to the WWF, but 
his mere presence would raise it up? Or is that just a cool line in a book? It just doesn't sound like something Hulk Hogan would say. Right. I, I, and again, I'm not, I don't want to throw shade because my book is coming out soon. November 11th, by the way, 11, 11, 22. Bischoffbook.com, by the way. Bischoffbook.com. By the way, it's going to be a piece of publishing history. Talk more about that at the end of the show. But um, what were we talking about? We're talking about the minor leagues. Oh, no, no. Look, I, I don't want to throw shade. Uh, you know, my first book, you know, I, I had a, a writer who's actually a real writer um, help me write that book, right? In every one of the WWE books, except for maybe McFoley's, um, they all have their authors, you know, that are working with the talent to try to get the story straight. And some of those authors do a great job, and some of them just wing it. They take a lot of liberties. And sometimes that's because the talent doesn't really make themselves accessible or because there's just not a lot of depth to it. So you got to kind of fill in some of the blanks to make it an interesting book when it otherwise really isn't. Uh, that sounds like what that is to me. That sounds like a ghostwriter trying to add a little bit of drama and perspective that didn't really exist. I can't hear Hulk saying that in his voice. This doesn't sound like him. Hulk would write that he was making, and again, this is wrestling, $700,000 every time he laced up his boots. That doesn't sound right, does it? You can go back and look at the contracts that have been published online. Uh, you can look at Hulk's original contract, and the number was, um, was either 400 or 500 per mm. pay-per-view. So WCW doesn't get a, a 1.0 buy rate again. Now let's remember now that's the high watermark from bash at the beach, 1994. It doesn't happen again until Halloween havoc, 1997. So just to keep that in context, Halloween havoc, 96 had the NWO. So we're just a couple of months away from Starcade with the crow sting and, and the NWO Hollywood version of Hulk Hogan before we actually beat this number. I mean, that is a crazy long amount of time in between, but it tells you, Hey, there was, there was money in, in Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. We've talked about it a little bit before, but let's sidebar now without Ric Flair. Do you think he land Hulk Hogan? No, no, I don't think there's any way now. Not, not a chance. Um, Hulk didn't trust a lot of the people that have been around WCW in a long time for a long time. Um, didn't trust them creatively. Didn't think they were bad people, by the way, let me make that clear. It's not that he didn't like them or didn't enjoy having the beer with them and hanging with them, but he was not comfortable putting his career in their hands and Hulk didn't know me. He didn't he had no idea what I was capable of or incapable of. I was just this guy that came from Minnesota that used to work for Vern. That's what he knew of me. Rick was the only guy there that Hulk did trust from a wrestling perspective. And with I'm I'm a hundred percent certain. Because Hulk didn't need the money, by the way. Yeah, Hulk didn't come to WCW because he needed the bread. He didn't need the money at all. He missed wrestling. 
and he missed being in the game. He missed the action. And as much as he wanted to come to WCW for the action, and the money wasn't bad for, for his schedule, he would have never done it if Rick wasn't in the company. And he, I mean, and a big part of it was, you know, he wanted to establish himself in the company with the right match first. Didn't want to make a mistake on that first match. Wanted that first match to be with somebody that he could trust creatively, that he believed would work, and then would propel him. And Rick was the only guy that I think Hulk would get into the ring with at that point. Hulk's next appearance in the ring is the Clash of the Champions in Cedar Rapids, uh, which we recently covered. The show did a 4.5 rating and a 7.7 share. And that's what you're looking for when you're, when you're investing in Hulk Hogan. I mean, this is, that's a huge rating at the time. By the time Halloween Havoc rolls around, it's a steel cage. And once again, it's Ric Flair. It does another gigantic buy rate 0.97, but the war games in between, it only does a 0.53. So that shows you the power of Hulk Hogan and maybe the power of Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. And I know you said, you know, Hulk needed to feel comfortable and blah, blah, blah. But did you think, and again, this is not a Ric Flair show, but after paying off the dream match and setting all kinds of record at bash at bash at the beach, it makes sense. I right, let's do it again. But then it becomes almost comical that Halloween havoc. We've got Mr. T there. We've got Sherry there. We're going to do a cage now. Oh, and it's a retirement match. If Rick loses, he's got to retire. There's a lot going on too much. Did you think in an effort to build Hulk Hogan, because Hogan's only here for the big pay-per-views flares working all the shows. It feels short-sighted up and I know it didn't last long, but just to creatively to take that chess piece off the board. Was that a misstep in hindsight? No. Okay. No. It, it, I, creatively, I don't think it was. With, with maybe a better idea? Sure. I'm always open to the fact that some people have better ideas than I do. But at that time, at that time, I think Rick needed the absence makes a hard grow finder factor to kick in a little bit. I think we needed to to bring, let Rick go away so that we can bring him back in a way that was, would make him bigger than he was when he left. And there had to be some real stakes, especially in a rematch in a cage. I mean, there just had to be real stakes that escalated the anticipation. It wasn't, we weren't intending to retire Rick. It wasn't like we were sending him off into retirement in real life, we were taking him off television for a brief period of period of time to be able to bring him back in a way that would be more significant than it was before he left. I don't think that's a bad strategy. It works. Sometimes, sometimes it works because it has to, and other times people plan for it. Right. So no, I don't think it was a mistake. Where did you think Hulk Hogan was going to make the biggest difference for WCW besides pay-per-view? Was it merchandise? You know, I didn't really have a good understanding of the merchandise business because I was never exposed to it, right? We didn't have it in WCW. So I didn't know what the market could bear. I had heard plenty of stories about, you know, the, the amount of revenue that WWE was creating with their merchandise and how much of that ended up in the pockets of the talent because of the nature of their contractual agreements. 
Um, so I was aware that there was a massive number floating around out there that was possible, but I, it wasn't real to me. It was, yeah, maybe someday down the road. So it wasn't licensing and merchandising. It was pay-per-view and it really was advertising marketing promotion, better deals with our partners, whether it be syndication or um, pay-per-view. That's where I saw the value in Hulk Hogan. Without Hulk Hogan, do you think you ever get Monday Nitro? No. No. And without Monday Nitro, there would not be the WWE that you see today. I know that sounds really, really like a really big statement, but I firmly believe it. It's not my ego or my pride. It's just fact. The the Monday Nitro created the Monday Night Wars. The Monday Night Wars created the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era during the Monday Night Wars and everything that WCW was doing on Nitro elevated, grew a stagnant, an audience that everybody believed would never come back to wrestling. It's dead. Wrestling is never going to be the same. Yeah. It was really cool in the seventies and the eighties, but now people have moved on. I was hearing all of that internally and externally until I wasn't when all of a sudden wrestling became more popular on television than it ever had been previously. Had that not occurred, I don't think WCW or WWE could have gone public. Had WWE not gone public, I don't think they'd be around today, at least not the same way. So without question, and I know that's like, and again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm patting myself on the back or even Hulk Hogan on the back. But when you look at the condition of the wrestling business, not some fanboy's opinion of it, right? I'm talking about the state of the business of professional wrestling. Prior to Hulk Hogan, WWE, the wheels were falling off. Part of that because of the steroid trial, part of it for other reasons. That If you look, go back and look at their ratings, go back and look at their buy rates, go back and look at their house show revenues around 94, 95, 93, 94. Go back and look at that. The wheels were falling off. The negative publicity because of uh, the steroid trial was a big issue with advertisers and sponsors and the media. So the business was going down and I think nitro would have never happened. Had it been for now, had it not been for Hulk Hogan. And I don't think the attitude era or what we see in WWE today had Hulk Hogan not made the move to WCW. That's going to piss some people off. It's, it's amazing what happened to WCW here. Of course, Saturday night was essentially in the death spot. TV viewership was changing. Instead of running shows in front of 800 or 1500 fans at a sound stage, now you're running live TV events in front of, you know, four, seven, 30,000 people in major arenas. Hulk Hogan is the guy who helped start all of that in motion. And I don't think that can be really debated. And there's no debate about Z biotics. You know, Eric and I were at a podcast movement this week and had a lot of conversations with a lot of different agent agencies who want to advertise on our programs and things like that. But Eric had a testimonial. Hey, you know what? We really believe in our products that we, we talk about. In fact, and he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out Z biotics. My <laughs> man took it to Dallas. 
Eric won't drink alcohol without Z-Biotics, and it's because, man, we're grown. We got stuff to do. We got to be productive tomorrow. Well, Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. And here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut, where you need it most. So just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. And Eric, this stuff really, really works. You're a big time believer. I am because I only had to try it once and notice the difference. You know, and I look when I was in my twenties and thirties, I could go out and you know drink till midnight or one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, get up at eight o'clock, have a cup of coffee, be ready to go. Like it was no big deal. Not so true anymore. And if I want to be functional and I want to be able to complete a sentence and interact professionally with people, knowing in a situation like we were in Dallas, right? We're out, we go out for dinner, we go out for lunch, have a couple of drinks, hang out at night after everything's over. We've got meetings, it's social drinking, but you're still, you're up, you're consuming alcohol. And I, in my case, I didn't get to bed till, you know, 10, 10 30, which is late for me nowadays. But before I started, before I had that first cocktail, I just reached into the pocket and took my little sip of Zbiotics, and I felt fine the next day. And I and I, I do carry it with me for that reason because look, it's not like you know you and I go out and all we want to do is party, but you're out in a business setting, you're in a social setting. That's um, part of doing business. But so is getting it up at eight o'clock in the morning and have a meeting. <laughs> so you want to be ready for both. I, I appreciate Zbiotics for that. Go try it for yourself. It's zbiotics.com forward slash 83 weeks. You'll get 15% off your first order when you use 83 weeks at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. I'm glad I've got some on hand for Chicago. We're going to need it Labor Day weekend. I'm bringing enough for me and for you, Eric. So you don't need to pack any extra, but remember right. head to zbiotics.com slash 83 weeks. Use the code 83 weeks at checkout. You'll get 15% off. And we really do thank Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode. Fantastic product that we use in our real life and can't wait for you to try it. Uh, let's do some fan questions. We had tons of questions about Hulk Hogan and was he really the savior of WCW? I don't know that we'll get to them all, but let's do a few here. Uh, Michael Eldridge wants to know what were Eric's initial expectations for WCW after signing Hulk? Did you have one? Hey, as long as we could do this, was there some sort of benchmark like that? Let me answer that question in 10 seconds. That was bothering me. I just had to fix that. (laughs) (laughs) On Uh, camera, you'll see Eric just had to fidget with something hanging behind him. But we're back at it now. Picture was crooked. I can't stand crooked pictures. It drives me batshit crazy. Um, No, there was no benchmark, as I you know kind of alluded to earlier on in the show. There was no. We have to do this rating, or our goal is this. Our goal was to take this resource, this Hulk Hogan resource that allowed us to have new conversations with the business to business community that we couldn't have had before. It also allowed to us, and I should touch on this too. 
Um, WCW had a very strong and loyal audience in the Southeast part of the United States. And that had everything to do with the evolution of TBS, right? That's just the way it is. Um, Hulk Hogan was necessary for us to break into television markets and be interesting to people outside of the traditional TBS audience. I think TBS has changed a lot since then. It's become more broader, if you will. But back then, it was almost like a regional cable company. Yes, it was available nationwide, but it was a regional cable company. Not a lot of people in Seattle or Los Angeles or San Francisco were watching TBS unless they were watching a Braves game, right? Hulk Hogan was the means to kind of overcome that challenge. Those were our benchmarks. Those were the things that we brought Hulk Hogan in to help us achieve. And those were the things that I was more concerned with than a rating or buy rate or house show attendance or something like that. Nick wants to know, um, Jesse Ventura's open criticisms of Hogan coming in and you knowing of those, was it ever considered to hold some sort of talent meeting to let the talent air grievances or discuss any concerns about Hogan coming in? You know, I, I had a broad stroke question about talent earlier. We didn't talk about Ventura. Do you remember having an exchange at all? with Ventura about this, you know, not a single exchange. There were a lot of conversations, uh, that I remember having with Jesse. Well, it wasn't really a conversation because that implies an exchange. It was one, it was a one way highway coming from, look, Jesse was adamant and, and, you know, I respect Jesse Ventura. Um, he's outspoken. He speaks his mind, uh, and he spoke his mind about, Hulk and his feelings about Hulk coming in. Um, but other than, you know, the conversations that Jesse and I had down in the production area, uh, in WCW, when he would come in to do voiceovers or standups or whatever, uh, occasionally I picked him up at the airport or dropped him off at the airport or whatever. You know, I listened a lot about what Jesse's opinions were about Hulk Hogan, but it never got to the point where I felt like I had to have a talent meeting. As I said earlier on, the talent that I dealt with, the people that at least to my face were all very supportive of it. And if there were an individual or two or three or four that, you know, had misgivings about it, they didn't share them. So the, the need for a talent meeting didn't really exist. I had one issue and that was with Jesse. I, I didn't have a broad-based talent kind of morale issue. Adam Leeson wants to know if Hulk doesn't come in, is there anyone Eric thinks would have had a similar impact jumping from the WWF? No, I can't think of one either. Uh, uh, Matt wants to know in the addition of Hulk Hogan, if the addition of Hulk Hogan did not turn a profit for WCW, did you think anything else would meaning is this sort of the moonshot? Like if this doesn't get us to the next level, it might just not be possible. No, I don't think that way. Okay. I just never, I never have. That's just not the way my brain works. It, it, no, that thought never occurred to me. Colby has a really good question. Did Hogan ever comment on the differences between WCW and WWE behind the scenes? Oh yeah. Maybe it was little stuff. Maybe how travel was handled, how catering's handled. Not so much catering, but yeah. I mean, look, there was, 
And I didn't realize it till I actually got to WWE as a talent in 2002, right? Because I'd never been there. I'd never seen it. But man, did I hear about it from Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan and Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart. Not so much Randy. Randy didn't like harp on that a lot, but, you know, Hulk did. And not in a, you know, mean, aggressive, disrespectful way, but it was just like, oh, Vince in this situation, this is what Vince would do, you know, and Kevin Dunn, you know, boy, this is the way Kevin runs things in production. You know, Vince's cameraman, you know, they would have never made that mistake. You hear that a lot over and over and over again. Um, and you know, look, it was well-deserved WCW from a, from an infrastructure perspective, from a staffing perspective, we were so far behind WWE that it's amazing. We got anything on the air and, but we did with guys like Dan Bynum, who, by the way, thank you. I don't know how you, if you had anything to do with Dan Bynum showing up in Nashville, how cool was Dan that used to be a, huh? How cool was that? Ah, man, I miss it. He is such, I've, it's the first time I've seen Dan Bynum since I don't remember way back in the mid nineties. And he was an outrageous, loud, super colorful and very talented individual. And I told him when I saw him in Nashville, you know, cause he used, he was a director for me along with Craig Leathers. I said, man, I'll never forget when I first got to WCW, I would go into the production truck. Even when I was done with all my work during the course of a show, if I didn't have anything else scheduled to do an interview or anything, I'd just go sit in a production truck and just listen to Dan directing a show. He was wild. But from a sophistication point of view, from a professional point of view, WCW just didn't have half the resources, half of the staff with half of the experience. I've said this before, WCW, again, one of the big differences, some people will say it was an advantage. Some people will say it's a disadvantage. And the truth is it's both. Um, one of the disadvantages of being part of Turner Broadcasting was we didn't have a lot of our own crew. We had to use Turner sports crews mm -hmm. and every once in a while we'd find somebody that was really good and we'd have to be excited about booking them for our next show and find out up oh, there doing golf. They're not available, but you're going to get this guy. Or you're going to get this woman. Trust me. She's good. Well, maybe she or he would have been good had they been with us for three, four, five, six months and gotten a feel for our product because shooting wrestling live, especially is a lot different than shooting golf. So it just takes a while, but that, that was a big disadvantage and all of that would manifest itself on just about everything that we did, whether it was a pay-per-view or a TV show or coordinating travel or even, you know, sending checks in the mail sometimes got tricky. So yeah, we were, that's why I'm a little bit, I'm, 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 I'm more empathetic towards AEW than people think I am based on what I point out because I've been there, man. Growing pains are, they fucking hurt. Yeah, they <laughs> it do. just hurts till you get the right team in place. till you get the right rhythm to get the right process to get a creative strategy that you actually believe in and feel comfortable with that's working until all that stuff happens. It's kind of painful. Uh, Jason wants to know if you had to do it all, all over again, would you start Hulk in a feud with another wrestler and then chase flair for the title? I guess the idea is if he could go back with the benefit of hindsight, would you have changed anything about his on screen stuff he did in that first year? 
it's an interesting idea and I think I could have fun, you know, kind of retro booking that because I think there would have been some stories and there would have been some interesting ways to do that, to, to kind of hold off on Rick while Hulk is working his way up the heel food chain, so to speak until he finally gets to Rick. That'd be the baby face chasing the heel. I like that basic storytelling. I dig that. Um, but it wasn't possible at that time. You know, Hulk Hogan was a babyface. Was it going to turn Sting heel? No. Vader, there were issues with. Um, it wasn't ready yet. So who who, who else? You know, who are you going to put? Who are you going to put Hulk in there without kind of losing some of the mystique while he's chasing Rick? If it wasn't Sting and it wasn't Vader, who would it be? The answer is probably no one. Tony flowers has an interesting question. This was the steroid trial era where Hogan's physique had changed dramatically at the end of his WWF run. And then he came into WCW was his physique ever discussed by anyone in terms of seeing if he would bulk up again, uh, blah, 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 blah. Now, listen, I know that's kind of a silly question, but I do want to have a discussion because we're in the middle of the steroid era. So it's a hot button issue. Now it's not your hot button issue. It's the WWFs, but it certainly feels like something that you're aware of was the conversation of steroids and the quote unquote Hulk Hogan look ever discussed at any point. No, okay. Not at all. And I personally, I thought Hulk looked better in 94 than he did in 92. I, I, I think that big, you know, 300 plus pound Hulk Hogan on camera didn't come across as well as a 265 or 270 pound Hulk because he leaned out and he had better definition. I, I didn't think I thought his, I thought his weight was perfect. To be honest, I wouldn't have wanted him any bigger. The camera already makes you bigger. He's already a big dude. I don't, I wasn't hoping that he was going to pack on 25 more pounds. Right. One last one, then we'll wrap it up. Uh, I do want you to hang out though. Cause we've got some other stuff we want to talk about. Uh, Yambag Jones wants to know what's the one thing about Hulk Hogan that people misinterpret the most. Um, I don't know how to answer that. Um, other than to say, I think he's one of the most generous people that I know. Um, and I know that, you know, within the dirt sheet, you know, wrestling community and the internet wrestling narrative, he was selfish and only cared about himself and blah, 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 fucking blah. I don't believe that I have, I have experienced the opposite of that. Now I will tell you there have been times when I felt like he was being perhaps selfish until I kind of listened to why he's feeling the way he's feeling, or in some cases realize that, you know, a year or two or three years later, fuck, he was right about that. I didn't think he was right in the moment, but he was really right about that. 
you know, Hulk's got a different perspective than most. He had a brand to protect that most people don't even understand. They've never had to protect the brand the way that Hulk Hogan has to protect his brand or had to protect his brand. Um, they never experienced that challenge. So oftentimes to people who had never had to experience managing their personal business, the way Hulk Hogan had to manage his personal business because of the level of success that he achieved to people on the outside looking in, it may look selfish, but it, it wasn't, it was what was in the best interest of not only the Hulk Hogan business, but the wrestling business from his perspective. And sometimes he was right. And sometimes he was wrong, but it wasn't out of being self-centered or selfish or non-professional. It was doing business the way he had learned to do business and experience success the way he had experienced success. But he's not a selfish person. He's a very generous person, sometimes too generous. Um, he's a very giving person. He's a very trusting person. He's a very loyal person. Um, but like a lot of people who are financially very, very successful and very loyal and very trusting, there are people that take advantage of that. And you can become cynical and to the outside world, it just looks like you're being cynical and selfish, but you're really not. You're just protecting yourself from yourself. In some cases, I used to tell Hulk all the time, man, I said, you're like a big fucking apple tree. You're just like this giant apple tree with all these big giant apples on it. And there's a bunch of people that are running around and they kind of hang out underneath that tree and they shake it every once in a while. So they can get some apples out of it. And I saw that time and time again. So he's a very generous person. He's a very loyal person. And he's very, he's a good person. He's human. Yeah. Fuck shit up. Just like we all did. All do. Made a mistake here or there along the way. But he's a good human being. Well, and so are you, Eric. And that's why we're excited to read about your new book. Bischoffbook.com is where you can pick it up. Uh, you can go ahead and get it autographed by both Eric and Guy Evans. You can get it as a hardcover or a paperback. Uh, and the book should be delivered sometime in November. So uh, hurry over right now. Get your pre-order in at bischoffbook.com. And you're trying something new at the end of each chapter. A little bonus action. Tell us what's what to expect there, Eric. This has never been done before. Now, somebody's going to rush off and try to pull it off before my book comes out. Have at it. So be it. Good luck to you. But as of I, as of this moment, as we're recording this, um, this will be the first book that ever comes out that at the end of every chapter, there will be a QR code that will take you to an exclusive interview that you can't find anywhere else. Only people that order the book and have the book can. You'll go to an exclusive interview about the subject of that particular chapter with that subject to get his or her opinion about the preceding chapter. I think it's a very cool way to kind of merge new media and traditional media. As I said, it's never been done before. I'm, I'm, and I just love doing new shit. And by the way, it wasn't my idea. I, I, and I asked the person that, that was talking about this idea. I asked uh, Brad Blajukian. He's a writer, by the way, spent some time here in June. Uh, I asked him if I could give him the world of my book and he gave me his blessing. So I don't want to make it sound like it was my idea. It wasn't. But this will be the first book where you can literally go to a QR code and hear directly from the subject to the preceding chapter. Great stuff. Bischoffbook.com. And don't forget, check us out this Saturday, live from Chicago, moneyformongo.com. 100% of your donation 
goes directly to Mongo. Uh, nothing for production, nothing for overhead, nothing for Eric or Mick or Rick or whatever. It's all for Mongo money for Mongo.com. And next week we're going to talk Mongo era, uh, fall brawl, 1997. It's the war games with the horsemen taking on the NWO. We got Lex Luger and DDP teaming up against Scott Hall and Randy Savage. The giants in there with Scott Norton. We got faces of fear taking on Mortis and wrath. Dean Malenko working Jeff Jarrett and Eddie Guerrero is going to battle Chris Jericho for the cruiserweight title. And we're going to go back 25 years for fall brawl, 1997. It's going to be a fun show, man. I love talking about 1997 and I love talking Hulk Hogan with you this week. This was a fun time, man. I enjoyed it as well. I, I, and by the way, I thought we were doing fall brawl 97 this morning because I got my notes from Derek Sabato yesterday or day before. So I'm, I'm already prepped and ready to go. I've been prepping for that show since about six o'clock this morning. So I can't wait to do it. <laughs> well, we're going to do it, uh, probably tomorrow or the next day, because I know you and I both want to record ahead of Chicago. We're going to be busy this coming weekend. So we normally block off some time during the weekend to throw these down. We're going to get it in a little early talking a little fall brawl 97. And when we record early, by the way, you get it early and ad free at adfreeshows.com. We'll see you next week, right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.